in in Ephesians, there are some things I wanted to uh, want you to know. I don't want you to not know these things. And so, whatever it takes, if you have questions about these things, I want to repeat the same sermon as I did last week, so that you you have these fundamental principles underlying how you read the Bible and how you think about the Christian life. And so I was delighted to do this twice because it gives me more time to think and go deep. And that's what I want you to do. I want you to know the Lord so well that you are comfortable in your faith in to a degree that you have assurance to a degree that it comes out in your relationships. And so as we get into uh, this passage, I was thinking about how Paul was discipling the Christians uh, in Ephesus. And as we follow up Christians and help Christians grow in America, one of the first things we, we want to say is we want you to, to get into church. We want you to learn how to fellowship with Christians, other Christians. And so as a young Christian, you need to study the Bible. You need to learn how to pray. You need to... We teach follow-up in a certain way that we... We give people information that they learn and they agree to, but this is not what Paul did with the Ephesians. As he gets into chapter 5, which is where we are, he starts to take all the theology, all the teaching that Christ has brought to uh, the Ephesians to talk about this new relationship with Christ. And so they have come out of a pagan background, out out of a kingdom of darkness, and they're now having to learn how to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord Jesus Christ himself in a personal way. And so as we get into chapter 5, again, I want to remind us that everything that's gone on before, I'm assuming that you understand, as the Ephesians understood, that you have to read this passage in a certain way to understand that you have a calling on your life. You have an invitation to be at the very table of Christ and to be invited to see how he relates to the Father is the very same way you can relate to the Father. And therefore Paul begins this with the, with the, uh, with the word imitation. We want you to imitate. Not that you have to have a, a, a behavioral standard or a philosophical uh, agreement there, that you, you sound like Christ. There's There's something radically different, and I'm trying to get this through in my life, and I know you struggle with this in your life, because the way we think about the Christian life is is so important because it shapes everything we do. But as Paul begins uh, this, he goes right to the heart of the issue. He says, I'm going to talk about your relationship with Christ to the point that it's going to affect your sexuality. It's going to go into the heart to touch your self-centeredness. It's going to affect the culture in such a way, it's a radical way, Ephesians, that you're going to be so different than everyone around you. And what was true for the Ephesians is true for us now, as we also had the same invitation to, to know the wonderful grace of Jesus, greater than all my sin, but not just greater than my sin, to to remove us from that kingdom of darkness, to lead us into this wonderful grace that that really becomes part of who we are. And therefore, to read, to read that in chapter, uh, verse 1, Paul says, Be imitators of God, beloved, beloved, beloved. This is my beloved son. 
hear ye him. And now if you don't know that God thinks about you as a beloved, as much as you love your kids, God puts that same passion on you. And there's something that should be stirred in your heart when you hear God's kindness, God's grace moving into people who have turned away from him. If that doesn't touch your heart, then your heart is dead. And you need new life to be born again in Christ. But Paul says, I want, to t- I want, to, I want you to understand that this imitation is you have a very intimate relationship with Abba, with the Father. And he's calling you. And so as he goes into these things, in the chapter 5, he's saying, these things will block your relationship with God. And therefore, I don't want you, Ephesians, to have any block. And what will block your relationship is this immorality of sexual impurity. It's this greed issue that you have to deal with. And it's the way we talk and relate to each other as we move in our world. And so Paul jumps right into the practical application. If you are a Christian and you are following Christ, this is what you're going to look like. And so that's what we talked about in Ephesians leading up to this. But I got to this word and I stopped. I thought, I didn't make this connection. He says, no sexual immorality, no impurity or greed shall be mentioned among you. No hint of it. And I thought, this is a strange... Why would he put greed in there? And it made me think, okay, Lord, what is it here? What's the meaning of this? And if you only hear morality in this, you'll miss the point. If you only hear behavioral standards, you'll miss the point. If you only hear an exhortation, don't be greedy, you'll miss the point. And that's what I don't want you to miss. And so I'm going back to, to lay out some things for you. Uh, And it's this idea that when we get into uh, what Paul was saying, he says, I want you to be imitators, and not just uh, the word was to mimic, but, but to follow in such a way that he influences you. But the word imitation, as many of these words, as I stop on a word, I again remind us to say, it's not the dictionary definition of the word that really matters. It's the meaning of the word in context that really matters. And so this book, Words in the Mind, by Gene Aitchison, I read in 1993 or 4. It's a a language book, but it's a good book. And so I want to repeat what I said last week because it talks about the power of words. Because it says in Proverbs, death and life are in the power of the tongue. And the tongue represents the words or the concepts in the heart. And so how you think about things, whether it's spiritual or non-spiritual, fleshly, dark, whatever the word, concept, frame of mind you have, is going to come out in how you talk and live your life and you move in relationships. And so pause with me for a minute as you listen to this, because as I said in Sunday school, this is so deep and fundamental that you will see this play out in the next three to six months as we talk about work here at CBC. The word was bird. And if I mention the word bird, your, your brain's going to kick into mind an image and you're going to think of something. And so that bird mental image, the lexicon in the mind, you're going to create something that comes to the front and you're going to say, oh yeah, bird. And when you say the word bird, what image comes to your mind? 
Church? What? Robin? Cardinal? And so you think a bird, you've got a category in your mind of already thinking bird is a small parrot, wren, something with two wings and flies and a beak. And so the idea of an image that you have is, is going to be in a category of thought, a concept that's going to lead you to think about bird in a certain way. And so most Americans, they don't even think eagle. They think robin. More Americans, when you say robin, you think uh, bird, you say robin. But when I say bird, there's this category that enlarges. And so when you think of ostrich, you wouldn't even think of ostrich. It may take you a couple of days to think of ostrich or a penguin. And yet, are these birds? Yeah, so you shake your head. And, and it means that in some category, in some way, these distinctives of what a bird is, but there are bird of your birds. There are birds that are, are really, this is what a bird is, but that's kind of an odd bird. And so we have this range of meaning within the context of words. And so when you think about birds, you have the dodo bird, you have the peacock, you have the owl, you have, have different kind of birds, the pheasant. So when you think, you think of all these images that come to mind wrapped up into one word, bird. Now keep this in mind because this is fundamental because you have core concepts represented by a sound, bird. Funny how those triggers. But now here's the question. It's small. It flies. It has a two feet, wings. Is a bat a bird? No, it's not. And so, now wait a minute. The, the concept of features and the dis distinctives of a bird also apply to this creature. But somehow we don't call it a bird. It's an entirely different realm in and of itself. And therefore, you've got to keep in mind how things overlap and easily get blurred when you use words that have the same features. And, and so when you get into different images, you've got to go very specific when you're talking about meaning and definitions and distinctive. How about this one? Is this a bird? You shake your head. Is a pterodactyl a bird? Now, you get, now you're really confused, aren't you? Yeah. How about this one? Is a roadrunner a bird? Yeah. Okay, so you've said roadrunner is a bird. Is this roadrunner a bird? Yeah. The cartoon, the idea of you add another distinctive, this is not a real bird. This is a, a, a comic bird. Beep, beep. And so as we... As we think about these words and the categories, as we shift into how we think about things, uh, you, you're, going to add, you're going to add to these core concepts. And so when I ask the question, which we will do coming up, what does it mean to be a Christian? What does it mean to be saved? What does it mean to have faith? What does it mean to have hope? What does it mean to love? What's spiritual battle all about? And as you get into the issue of gender and sexuality, the concept of what is a man? And what is a woman? And what is marriage? And what is parenting? What does it mean to grow in grace? 
All these core concepts are going to have accompanying images that if you don't realize that you're communicating out of your frame of mind, out of an experience, and out of a culture that you attach certain meaning to. And therefore, last week I began to talk about the core, the core meanings that we have often come from our families. How you grow up. If you've been married for a while, do you sound like your spouse? You, you begin to, to say things the same way or you know you can finish the sentences before they do. And so there's an influence there. But the idea that, that when you have these concepts that are imprinted on your brain and in, in, embedded in your soul, how you talk comes a lot from the core cultural values and experience you have. And so if I go into uh, the, these differences, if I go into Hawaii or Iowa, if I go out to uh, New York, you find that there, there are differences, distinctions in the cultures, but there are distinctions in the core values. And, and so if I go outside of our culture, you begin to realize that different nations have different frames of mind. Different words. And so when you think about people, uh, when you think about birds in China, they don't think robin. Because there are so many birds in China that you've never even seen before. uh, 13,314. And 52 are endemic. mean only exclusively living in that country. Endemic, though, means democracy, demos people in this people group is it's part and parcel of who they are as a as a people, as a culture. And so they will talk about birds in a different way than you and I would. But one thing that they will talk about at the core, if you go into that culture, China is known primarily at the center of every culture is one overriding kingdom king value that runs that country. And those who study cross-cultural uh, differences understand that every country has values that they will die for and they will kill for. Because at the core, this is who we are. And you've got to keep that in mind, that China, the core value is control and stability because they have so many people across such a vast land to manage that country in such a way, you can't allow for disruption at any time because millions of people will die of hunger if you disrupt that system. So it's about control. No Tiananmen Square here. They can't allow it because there's something far greater at the core. It's stability. In Japan, it's different. In Aizu Wakamatsu, where I was, in the left uh, it's a city of 120,000. From Hokkaido to Hiroshima, all of Japan has the same core values. And that core value, if you think about the peace of Japan, it's harmony. Harmony. They're the most peaceful, harmonious people until a military comes involved and the government tells you this much. And they will conform to keep harmony. They will do, they, were, they are so faithful, they're kind folks. But at the core, 
when you work with the Japanese, they're very honorable, very respectful, because the harmony is their core value. They want peace, and therefore their bird is a swan, a graceful, beautiful swan. That's how they see themselves as a country. They, they are beautiful people. But, but every country has got these core values. And if you go from Tokyo as, as two New Yorks thrown together, 26 million people in that extended area, but you go on down, you ask the same question about America. What's our core values? You know what culture is? The word cult means worship. And culture is what you worship. Occult is abnormal worship. So in the American culture, what is it that we worship? Well, the number one core value is freedom. We will fight for freedom. We will kill for freedom. We will die for freedom. This is the American flag. This is our independence. No one will tell me what I have to think. Say, I have freedom. And that's so deep in our, in our psyche. And therefore, when you think about the freedom, the freedom for what? The freedom to live life the way I want to live it. That's at our very core. Now, let me move on because I've got lots. You get the idea that at the core, there's a mindset, a frame of how you think and speak and talk about things, whether it's bird or core values. It's who we are, and it's our identity wrapped up in skin as we move in our culture. Now, you go back to the Ephesian culture. You go back to this group of people we're studying. What was their core value? Well, if you look at it, the, heat, the pagans, the hedonists, were given to the flesh. You see that all the way through the Ephesians. And so here comes your sexual immorality. I want to do what my flesh wants to do. If it's to drink, if it's to go to the temple and have sex, it's I want to do what makes me feel good. And therefore, they're kind of caught in a fallen world without God doing what they think is the best thing for their own pleasure, their own comfort. And that's that's what Paul is addressing here. But now the question goes on to what God is doing through Paul in the Ephesians is to introduce this culture at the core called the kingdom of Christ. The kingdom is at hand, therefore repent. Because you can't have the kingdom of God and other core values competing. No man can serve two masters. So here's the question for you. What's at the core value of the kingdom of God? And so, let me propose that when you talk about imitating Christ and the love of Christ, what's at the core is this sacrificial love that comes out of an other-centeredness. There's something about Jesus. He was so unpreoccupied with himself that he could leave the throne of glory because in heaven there is no preoccupation with self. Even though he existed in the form of God, it wasn't something he considered valuable. Something that was more valuable is sacrificial love. A love that says, I am here on your behalf. I will move towards you with your interests at hand, at my expense, because I love you. That's the kingdom of heaven. 
That's grace in motion. That's, that's what the Lord does. And when He moves, you can't stop it. That kind of kingdom power that allows us to enter into a fallen world that's dark and evil and, and disgustingly, traumatically hurtful and damaging, that doesn't represent the kingdom of heaven. But the kingdom of heaven is a freedom to love. And therefore, do not turn your freedom into opportunity for the flesh to keep on sinning, to keep on damaging, to keep on doing your self-centeredness. No, no, no. The core at the kingdom is other-centered love. Loving, serving relationships. It's unconditional grace that no matter what you do, I'm going to move on your behalf because I am thinking of your best interest at my expense. The opposite is the flesh. I am moving towards you for my best interest at your expense. I will manipulate you. I will use you. I will do anything I want to do with you because I'm about me. That's the contrast that the kingdom of God and the kingdom of the flesh is working on. And therefore, our bird (laughs) is the Holy Spirit. The freedom The freedom to fly, the liberty to love, is not lust that's self-serving, it's love that's other-centered. Wow, what what an amazing message. What a ministry Paul's got. How do you change somebody who's lustful into loving? How do you change somebody who's greedy into a giver? And that's where we pick up this word greed. When you come to understand sexuality being self-centered, we understand the trauma of rape. And abuse. We understand the violence because somebody is so caught up and blinded by sin. Now here comes greed. Amazing. And Jesus said, and I didn't pick this up as deeply as I understand it now, Paul said, beware. There's a lion out there. There's going to be destruction if you don't pay attention. Beware! Danger. And be on your guard. Keep your shields up. Well, what was he talking about? Be aware that greed, greed, greed is coming to destroy you. Wow. I had to go back and think. He says... Because not even when you get what you want, it's what you want. When you get abundance, it won't meet your deepest need. And if Jesus Christ isn't meeting your deepest need, then meeting your deepest needs becomes your God. And you will self-serve and become greedy and manipulate the world because it's all wrapped up in this word greed. Well, what is greed? When Paul says... When sexual immorality and impurity and, and, and the pornography and the pornea, as he talks about, and greed shall not even be mentioned among you. It means at the core, at the identity, you as a Christian should not be tainted or with a picture of imagery of greed. We don't buy our wives Lamborghinis. This prosperity gospel, be aware that there is danger with riches. Wow. 
Paul's teaching this to the Ephesians because some of the Ephesians were very wealthy people. It was a, it was a, a, a high center of manufacturing and trans, transportation and, and industry, but they had the same problem. And the problem was this. When you are rich, you become more preoccupied with your wealth and you become less compassionate with people. That's the problem. And as, you, as I, I listen to Paul Piff, if you want to go follow him on his TED program, it's an amazing study that he said in the game of Monopoly, they gave one group of people twice the money. And they gave uh, the other person was the rich, this one was the poor. This rich person had two dice, this person had one dice. This person could pass go and get $200, this person would pass go and get $400. And so it was stacked. And the more that they played the game, what you found between these two players is that the rich person started to talk down to the poor player. I'm going to get that money. You're going to lose it. And he started walking around the board, stomping on every pay. So he was these, these displays of power. And then you would just see how, how the more he won, the more aggressive and insensitive he was. And the other person would, you know, I'm going to, I'm going to, it won't be long before you're out of that money. And it was an amazing thing. They did the same thing with cars. They took a pedestrian by the side of the road, and he would step in the street just enough in California. They're supposed to stop for pedestrians. And they looked at which car stopped. Those who owned older, cheaper cars stopped. All of them stopped. But those who had richer cars, newer cars, they would not stop. Often they would, they would either ver or they wouldn't wait. And so you find something happening with rich being wealthy that shapes the internal value system at the core. And what they found was this. The higher the status, the higher the education, the higher the wealth, the higher the material things, the greater the indifference. And the greater they would the probability of breaking the law and the greater the probability of lying and the insensitive to put people down. And what you find with greed is an accompanying contempt for people who are poor, for people who are in need. You have this power position. And therefore Paul says, if you're thinking about being greedy, realize this is what's going to look like as you move into the Christian life. You will be open to stealing, boasting, manipulation, lack of compassion. And therefore, Paul puts it right up there for following up Christians. Be aware. This is not who you are. And therefore, Jesus would say to the man who says, well, when I die, before I die, I'm going to build some more barns. I'm going, to, I'm going to accumulate real estate. I'm going to stock all my, my, my harvest and these. But I need some more space. I need some more storage. I need some more. I need some more. I, I need some more. And this idea, I need some more. It means what you have isn't enough. It means what you have isn't satisfying enough because you forget what you've got and you want to go look for something else you don't have. And that's what the rich young ruler, rich young ruler was rich. Old money passed down. And yet his core value is, I need more. And so he asks the question, what shall I do 
to get this inheritance. It's about money. And Jesus says, go sell everything. Because what's at the core is not compassion. What's at the core is not the kingdom of God. What's at the core is you just want to get ahead. And you just want to even manipulate me. Go sell everything. Come and follow me. And Jesus loved him. And the man could not give up those core values of, I want to be in control of my wealth. I want to be in control. I don't, want, I don't care about people. And Jesus said, if you're going to follow me, and you're going to imitate me, you're going to have a love that's other-centered, a love that's people-centered. And therefore, you have a guy like Judas, who at the core, the temptation was going to sell Christ out. You see, the very imitation of God's character means that you don't relate sexually with a self-centeredness. It means that you don't have an inordinate sense you don't have an inordinate sense, a preoccupation with who you are and what you get at the expense of other people. And then the last thing he moves into, you don't have an indifference in terms of how you speak to people. Your words, your words, how you, how you interrelate to people. Well, maybe it's a joke. Maybe I just, I wasn't kidding. Course jesting. You've all been hurt by people who've said things about you, misrepresenting you. And this idea that your sex, your money, your, your words, all are ground up in this sense of you're living for yourself. Ephesians, you're done with that. That's the way the flesh works. That's the way the Gentiles work. So you can walk away from that. Because that's not who you are, bird. That's not who you are, Christian. That's not who you are, beloved. And if you really have this intimate relationship with Christ, and you know what the heart of God and the core kingdom values are, you're free from all this preoccupation from getting what you want. Because when you get what you want, it's not what you want. Right? There's something higher for us. It's called the gospel of Christ. It's the healing gospel that brings about grace that sets people free from their self-centeredness. And that's why Jesus would say, if you come after me, you're going to have to take up a cross and die daily. But if it's, that's true, then as Paul would say, I have been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives within me. And those who are poor in spirit are blessed. Those who are poor in spirit have a sensitivity to those who are in pain. Those who understand the fall, and only those who understand the darkness and sin of their own heart, are free to share about the comforting grace of Christ. Because we share the same problem. We've been separated from Christ and we don't know the wonderful grace of Jesus. <laughs> but if you know it, <laughs> it makes all the difference because at the heart, your, your heart is set free. Heart is set free. And that's what Paul is saying. Don't misunderstand. If you are going to be part of this Ephesian church that you've been blessed, you've been integrated, restored, baptized, incorporated, and now you're included into this whole wonderful thing that you're being instructed in the kingdom of heaven by the very Holy Spirit himself. 
You are alive in Christ. And you are free to love in Christ. This is your inheritance, Christian. This is what God wants you to know and experience. As you do so, then the way you think about sex, as the way you think about money, as you think about your speech, is going to imitate the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. How powerful is that? That's the Lord you will follow. That's our path to growth. And I know you want to stay on that path. And therefore, as we close in our thinking, let me just leave you with these thoughts. God is doing something in the human heart to change the core value from being self-centered to being Christ-centered. As you think about following Christ, your, your whole mindset of, 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 of material world is shaped by the thinking of the kingdom values. And as you think about how you move into people who don't know the Lord, who take the Lord's name in vain, who make humor, they use humor at other people's expenses, you become sensitive, you become loving, you become honoring, you become kingdom people. And that's what the good news is. And we're just in chapter 5, And this moves into the next week. We're going to move down into, you're going to walk in love, but you're also going to walk in light. You're going to walk in wisdom. You're going to walk in submission. We'll look at that one. And you walk in victory. Christian, this is your calling. This is the good stuff. That's what God wants you to have. Let's pray. Lord, we love you. We are poor in spirit, but you are rich. And you bring in the richness of love. When we have no hope, you bring hope. When we have damage, you bring healing. Whatever is blocking our hearts, Lord, you want to remove that block to set us free. Those who are in the sun are certainly free. So Lord, would you continue to build your church and may may we imitate who you are, genuinely, authentically, For your glory and for our growth, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.